Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. I just want to say thanks to everyone for listening and remember if you enjoy the pod, hit subscribe. If you're listening via Apple Podcasts, rate the show and leave a review, it really helps. This week is part two of the Jamaican Bob Stay special. Today's guest is a pioneer and his journey literally inspired Disney to make a movie about him and his teammates. I am joined by four-time Olympian Dudley Stokes. Let's find out the whole story. Good afternoon, Dudley. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? Um, fine, thank you, Andy. Um, thanks for having me. Oh, no, thank you so much. I um, can't wait to, to learn about your journey and share it with the listeners. Dudley, do you just want to tell people exactly what your job is, what your career has been, and what you're most famously known for? <laughs> okay, I'm Dudley Tal Stokes. Uh Founding member of the Jamaica Bobsleigh team, four-time Olympian, and uh, one of the characters around which the Disney feature-length film Cool Runnings was was inspired. Wow. And um, and so that's me in a nutshell. That is, yeah. And obviously, listeners will only be hearing this, but they won't be able to see the smile on my face right now <laughs> to know that I was speaking to one of the founding members of the Jamaican Bobsleigh team. So if we go back to the very beginning, then Dudley. You know, Jamaica isn't a place that you would ever associate with ice and snow and bobsleigh. So how and how on earth did that all begin? Well, it 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 began as as many things do in a bar. Okay. <laughs> so there are two Americans living here, and for different reasons, um, one of them was married to a Jamaican. He wanted to match in the opening ceremonies of an Olympic Games. Right. And the other one was a, a businessman who had seen the movie Downhill Skill and had an idea to sort of have a movie made out of some event. And they were good friends and they were drinking one night and they saw the pushcart derby on the, the TV in this particular watering hole they were in. Um, and so it clicked to William Maloney that, you know, that looks a lot like Bobsley. And so they started working on it. So William Maloney had been told to find a sport that, that didn't already have a federation in Jamaica and create a federation, get affiliated with the International Federation, bring the sport to the necessary level, and then come back to the IOC and then see if they give them permission to go to the Olympic Games. And then he couldn't find anything in the Summer Games. Right. And so this is why he had, you know, he saw Bob saying and said, let's try that. So the two of them, for the different reasons, uh, settled to pursue this. The, the, the problem they almost immediately came upon is that everything was easy up to the point of getting athletes. So right. they, they didn't find a lot of interest. As you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, so I went to the, the army, the Jamaican army, where I was at the time. I was uh, uh, serving as a captain in the air wing, flying helicopters. And okay. they went to Colonel Ken Barnes, who was in charge of sport. And you, you probably know of him as his son, John Barnes, um, played yes. for Newcastle. That's right, he did. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, he went to Ken Barnes and said that they needed athletes and they needed one with proven hand-eye coordination to try to teach to drive. And um, at the time, I played football for the Jamaican Army, so I'm very familiar with Ken Barnes, who was very interested in that program. Yeah, yeah. And he said to them, yes, I have just the guy for you. And so he called called down to my unit, and, you know, the conversations between colonels and captains tend to go one way. <laughs> one party talks, and the other one says, yes, sir, yes, sir. So <laughs> I was in. Wow, what a story. And... As as a youngster, were you quite athletic yourself, and was there was there other sports involved when you when you were younger? Well, I tell you, I um I had an unfortunate incident when I was was ten, and my brother was eight, and um, we were both on the beach and um running, which we, we tended to do from time to time. So we lived in in Jamaica on the north coast, right next to the beach. So I went there one Saturday, and we were doing our usual racing over about thirty meters. And he kept beating me, and he beat me like eight times out of ten. Right. So I concluded that man, I must be slow. So I moved away from from sport, from running, and so on. Um, if you fast forward ten years from that, he was one of the ten fastest people on the planet. Wow. And um, and I was still not running, so I didn't realize at the time that. Uh, I may not have been slow relative to, <laughs> to the rest of the world, but to him, I was. And, you know, later on in life, I, I got serious about running and I, I really improved to the point where I was very competitive. But this was in my 30s. Right. And, but, you know, that's a, that's a lesson as to how yeah, things yeah. So I ended up playing playing football quite a bit. Um and to a, a fairly high level, but that was the, the extent. Okay, okay. So then when the, the opportunity for, for bobsleigh came along, you were told you had to accept by the colonel. <laughs> he never asked me. He, 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 never, he, he never said anything um, that, that could be misinterpreted as coercion or so on. He just yeah. suggested and he asked, and I agreed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that might, <laughs> but that must have been quite a, I don't know, quite a surreal moment for for someone to ask you if he wanted to learn how to bobsleigh. Yeah, it was, and um, I had briefly seen it on TV some years before. Yeah, and so I had kind of an idea what it was about, but I really none. The the one thing I understood was that it it had to be driven, it had to be manipulated. Yeah. And I enjoy driving things, you know, okay. helicopters and so on. So I said, yeah, let's. let's and had you, had you actively taken part in the, the derby that you mentioned in Jamaica? No, no never been in a pushcart derby. Right, but, okay. But, right. But the, the guys discovered very early on that the, the athletes for Bob say, this is George Fitch and William Maloney, they discovered that the athletes would not be coming from the pushcart program. Right, okay. Um, you know, it's, it's a different set of skills altogether. Yeah, yeah. And they also discovered, talking to the American uh, Bobsleigh Federation, that, you know, what you need are sprinters and, and, and really good athletes with some size and so on. Yeah, yeah. So you're the first person who's been recruited then. How did you go about recruiting the rest of the team? 
Oh no, those guys were already well on the way. So I was yeah. I was recruited. The colonel made some other calls. So you had the army hundred meter champion there, a couple of other, you know, discus throws, so on. And um, and then George Fitch William Maloney had an advertising campaign island-wide, and they invited people to come into Kingston for trials. Okay. And they had some athletes and coaches from the American Bobsey Federation. They came down to set up the trials the way they would do them. Right. And so we, we went along. And you you may recall from the the movie that scene where they showed the the what bobsleigh was like and they ran this film yeah, of yeah. crash after crash after crash and that actually happened. <laughs> I took off that meeting and the room noticeably thinned out. So by yeah. the time that reel was done, there was the you could only the people who were told to go, i.e. the army people were left in the room. <laughs> All the other guys, people had um had gone. That's amazing. So once you once the, the packs whittled down or scared away and you've got left this core group of people who are now going to start training in Bobsley. How does that first session look like in Jamaica? Um, running, it's, it was all about speed and power. So it's how fast you could go and then how high you could jump, how far you could jump, that yeah. kind of stuff. We started working on those things in the sort of a normal athletic training way. So we set up training sessions and we came in. And yeah, we're yeah. trying to do that. Then we had um we had a push sled built out of metal tubing and so on, so we could practice uh, pushing. Right. Okay. And we did quite a bit of that sort of on concrete or on the pattern track. Okay. On the sled would be right. And and how long was it before you got to practice doing any of the kind of the basic maneuvers, the basic pushing on ice? So. This the, the initial trials were in were in early September 1987. And then in late September we went to Lake Placid. So okay. the track wasn't already open or you know, we just we went there on a family tour. And we um another part that that reality that inspired us scene in the movie. We did go on to the ice rink in Lake Placid, which is, is famous with as where the miracle on ice happened when they the American college students beat the professional team from the US, USSR as it then was back in 1980. So we got onto that ice rink with a bobsleigh in, in, in spikes and we were all over the place, mostly on our asses. <laughs> that was the first experience. But we, we met the intended coach and, um, and he sort of got to know us and, and analyze you know, started to develop his impressions as to... Yeah, yeah. And when you first got over there to Lake Placid and you're on the ice and you're getting a feel for the push card, was there any moment where you just thought, this is not for me, I do not want to see this through? Or was it just a case of, actually, now I'm so heavily invested because I've done the training in Jamaica, I'm here now in Lake Placid and there's an opportunity to go to the Olympics, I I really want to push for this? Yeah, no, there, there, there wasn't ever any such moment um because they they i mean not for me and i would say most of the the other team especially the ones that came from from the the army taking it on as a as a challenge one yeah for me i 
I had always wanted to represent Jamaica at some sport, but I was never quite good enough. And I, I knew it wouldn't happen in football. I was already 25 years old. So they, they, it, it was you know, it's, it's kind of an opportunity that you would never, never, ever expect to yeah, yeah. land into your, in your lap when you when when I consider it from the point of view of, of putting on the, the colors and and representing the country. So I if 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 it didn't happen, it wasn't going to be my fault. That was yeah, my yeah. stance. Wow, that's amazing. And so Lake Placid, then when you've done your first training camp and you're getting used to it, is Lake Placid also where you got your first opportunity to drive a sled down? No. Um, so Lake Placid, then more so then than no, but it still is now one of the most demanding tracks in bobsled. Right. Um, back in those days, it was what's called a natural track. In other words, it was dug out of a hillside. It wasn't elevated curves and so on and would freezing with pipes. And, and so that made the corners very unpredictable. Okay. And, um, and as we were to discover, because I, we did spend the, the month before actually going to the Olympic Games in preparation and at Lake Classic. And right. it, was, it, was, it was tough. In fact, one of the, the, the other drivers, so there were two of us selected to be drivers. The other driver quit while we were in Lake Classic, just ahead of the Olympic Games. Oh wow! So, so that was not the place to start. No. So, uh, in Canada, in Calgary, was the, the track that was actually to be the Olympic track. So, for yeah. several reasons, it made sense to start there. But it was a far more benign track, and um, and a good place to learn. And so that's where we we headed off in in October. Okay. Of um, '87. And what was I it like the, the first time you drove? Uh, Bob saying you pushed it down the track and you actually got to, to drive it down down the track. Yeah, no, well, you see, you take things slowly, which I was accustomed to because that's what happens in, in flying as well. Yeah. You take things slow, you start high, and then you you work down as you become more proficient. So in learning to drive a bobsleigh, there are several starts on a bobsleigh track for juniors, for luge, different sports, and so on. So you start at one of the lower starts you have like four or five corners and you get to, and you sit in the sled and you figure out how it's going how it feels when i pull here it goes this way that and then when when you get comfortable there then you move up to the next start and you move up till eventually you get to the top which is a whole new ball game so and and you were running off the top for your first time so i sat in i've been doing very well um at all the lower starts and so on so we get to the top for the first time and you know, I put on my helmet, I sit in the sled, this is all fine. They push me off, go in, pick up speed through the first few corners. And I get to corner four, which is uh, the first corner with real pressure, and it drops off. And as we exit out of it, I hit the wall, and you know, my helmet was just on. It pops up halfway, the goggles come right through my eyes. I didn't see another thing oh, really? until wow. we got to the bottom. I, I, I was terrified the whole entire way, but we were at the bottom on four runners. And I thought to myself, how hard can this be? <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, I, I would have been better off not looking for a few more trips. I love that. That's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And did your teammates see anything about that first trip down? 
oh no, they, they didn't have a clue. They were, they were <laughs> terrified and caught themselves and hanging on for dear life. That's amazing. In, in the back of a pop state gets really, I mean, you clear out all your gases and whatever <laughs> is, is in your respiratory tract. Um, you know, because you're, you're, you're bent over, which is a bad yeah, yeah. position to begin with. You're flat on the back of the bottom of the sled. And when you hit five, six Gs, yeah. it just crushes you. And um, so, it, I mean, right in the back of a sled, no fun. No. And, no. And, and especially when you're doing it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, you're going to rely on the driver. Yeah. We, 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 we flew over an army guy when, when we were in Austria ahead of the Olympics. And we, we'll come to that. But we flew over a guy and he got in the sled and went to the bottom and walked back to the hotel. And when I went back, he said, nope. And he left. Really? He was like in Austria. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a terrifying experience, you know, um, especially if you're not, you don't have any context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. As you've started your journey relatively close to the Olympic year, within a year you you're at the Winter Olympics, so that must no, have no, just... no, no, no. Sorry, Andy. In, insane. We but the first time on ice was was um was the somewhere around the eighteenth of October, eighty seven. And, and the, the Olympics were eighty eight. Is that right? February eighty eight. Okay. Wow. So I mean. You have had to learn extremely quick in order to be ready. Yes, it would not happen again. It was <laughs> reckless. Um, I didn't know any better. And, you know, we were gung-ho and, and going for it. But it was, it was at all order. Do you think that that maybe helped a little bit, being naive and not knowing what you were getting yourself into when it came to that first Olympics, rather than maybe having that long period of time to to maybe understand things a little bit better and maybe have an opportunity to build up a little bit of apprehension or nervousness? No, you have hit up on, on, um, on one of my principles of life right there that has come out of my Olympic experience and I've employed to good effect subsequently. So the, the key things you need if you're going into something new or an entrepreneur and you're... And you're um, you're starting up, whether it's a new business, whether it's a non-profit like you do, or you're going into sport. The things that you need to hold on to are ignorance and confidence. Yeah. And by ignorance, I don't mean try not to know anything about what you're doing. Yeah. You have to be deliberately ignorant of the possible consequences. So you can't allow your imagination to be creating all the ways that this thing can fail and all the ways that it can hurt you or else you'll never get up. Yeah, so you maintain yeah. that ignorance and then you cultivate confidence for success. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. there you go. Ignorance and confidence. I love that one. Absolutely love it. I'll, I'll use that as a quote from that one moving forward. I'm going to pinch that one off you, Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> so you've had... A baptism of fire, you've had a short training camp, you've been told there's a massive opportunity for you to represent Jamaica at an Olympic Games, which is something you said you've always dreamed of. What was it like when you qualified and you walked out at the Olympic Games representing your country for the first time? Um, well, a, a feeling which I had never experienced and actually have never experienced since. 
So, you know, there, 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 there's the first time thing yeah, which yeah. You, you can never kind of get back, you know, yeah. the second time. Uh, so it, it, it was the opening ceremonies in, in, in Calgary Stadium, 50,000 people. And I had the honor of carrying the, the Jamaican flag on the march. And so we, we, you know, but before you, you get into the stadium, there's, there's a long profit procession where the athletes are gathered in the national groups. And it's, it's actually one of the, the best parts of the Olympics in terms of the, the banter and the chatting and the exchange of pins and so on as you advance, because you start from somewhere miles away. And yeah, you walk up, walk up to the stadium, and then you eventually come down the tunnel, and then they call your name, and you walk out. And when, when you stride out with that flag, and especially you know Jamaica Bob State team, Jamaica the Winter Olympics, and so on, and you hear the fifty thousand people roaring, kind of as one, and so on. It, it that was, that was something else. That was a, a real rush, Definitely. real pride. Um, you know, as I said, that's that's a feeling. Unlike I'll ever have again. Yeah, uh, yeah, the first time, and I can imagine it's it's hair raising, and yeah. yeah, I can. But it's absolutely phenomenal. And contrary to what the film made out portrayed, you guys were welcomed with open arms to the first Olympic event. We we um we were certainly by by the people watching the event and so on. There there are serious sportsmen. Who, who had the doubts about our seriousness, and I fully understand that. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are guys who have been bobsledding for 15, 20 years in some cases, and you show up after three months. It's kind of a disrespect to a guy's sport. So um, I, I understand that. I understand it at the time even more so now. Yeah, but but you know, celebrities are, is a hell of a thing. So everybody wanted an autograph or a pin or a picture for somebody, you know, their family yeah. back home because that was all the story and so on. Yeah, even though they may have been annoyed, <laughs> they, they didn't do anything to put you off. Yeah, yeah. So um, it all in all, it it wasn't. There were no there were uncomfortable moments as the, the movie portrayed. Right, um, but you know, the the Disney needed they needed some controversy. Of course, of course, I understand that's what sells films and, and makes yeah. makes films. But when you're out there, and you're seeing that there was people who maybe has been bobsing for 15, 20 years who maybe frowned upon your you know your acceptance in there, and maybe the fact you were competing after three or four months training. But you have to start somewhere, and it's not your fault that you only had a three or four month time period. Did that almost give you guys a bit more motivation to to do well and try and succeed? Um, it it certainly did for me and and for a number of of the athletes around. You know, they, there were a number of characters on the team, and some of them had been selected specifically for the PR value. And, right. and okay. they had a different attitude. But I can say for my 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 brother, we'll, we'll get into that story. But by by the time we got to the four man event in the Olympics, he was in the team. Right. And um, 
and a couple of, of the people from the army. This was this was a serious endeavor, and we were going to make the best of it, given what we had to work with. Yeah, which you know wasn't exceptional, but that's that's the way it broke down. And as you say, they they um nothing I could do about the timing. Nothing I could do about where where we were. It was yeah. not a foregone conclusion that we would go to the Olympic Games because the International Federation at the time had never had to deal with anything like this. So they, they didn't really have a roadmap for us to qualify. Yeah. So they kept making it up. And every time, you know, they, they, they set up a, a they, 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 they put up a test, then we pass it. And so it wow. kept going until eventually they said, all right, fine. It's a phenomenal story. What was the media attention like back home and how did the Jamaican public react to their nation entering a team in the Winter Olympics? I would say prior, prior to going, there was indifference, a mixture of indifference, if not... Um, outright scorn. So you have to understand Jamaicans are proud about the sport. Yeah. One of the things that they hold there. I mean, two things there, sport and music. Um, you mess with those things that you won't carry. And Jamaicans are accustomed to winning, especially if Olympics are involved. Yeah. And so they, they, they didn't really get why we were sending a team to the Winter Olympics to the Bob said, which yeah. people understandably knew absolutely nothing about yeah of course um and then there were you know there, so the sport the media and so on were very skeptical um and thought that it was an elitist thing they, they had all sorts of theories so when we left we we were not in in general in the in the public when we were not um uh held in high regard i don't yeah. think and what? sorry, yeah, go on. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, as that tournament progressed, and obviously the film portrays you guys almost, you know, kind of get, getting better and better as the run goes on, and being a becoming a real threat to to other nations. How did did you feel that from back home as you guys grew into the competition that you could then sense the support coming from back home? Uh, no, is the short answer. So remember, this is 1988 now. This yeah. is pre-internet era. Um, there, there were cell phones around. So I, I saw my first network computer in the Olympic Village in Calgary. Right. And I saw my first cell phone, which uh, an American athlete named Willie Galt, who was a professional footballer in the NFL, he had a cell phone, which was quite a range. So it was the only one, I think, there. So this is the era that we're in. Yeah, of course. So communication is not um, it's not easy, and um, and so we, 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 there, there was no feedback loop as to say what's going on in Jamaica. There's no way to see the local paper, no way to listen to the, the radio station. Right. So we were really in a bubble. <laughs> um, I like that. <laughs> what was it like when? Well, talk me through the experience because you guys were starting to make headway in the tournament and then obviously the the crash did happen. 
what what was going through your head on the lead up to that run? Because that was where you guys were starting to get faster and faster. Yeah, but and you have to I have to take you back to to January. January 1, 1988, we okay. flight to Lake Placid to do our pre-Olympic training camp and so on. And so we went there. There were five of us, two two-man teams. So we're only ever going to do the two-man. Right. So we're there training in Lake Placid, which was rough, as I, as I mentioned. It's one of the yeah. more difficult tracks. And it was a completely different story to what we've been used to. And... um. I mean, everyone beats you like you. I mean, you did karate, so it's like you were in a fight. Everyone, I were doing three, four a day, so you go home black and blue and dizzy and with a headache. Given, and after two weeks of the camp, the the other driver quit. He right. came on there and he said he, he never gave a reason. He just knocked on my door. And he said, you know, boy, I'm leaving. I'm going down to New York, New York City. And so I said, fine. And, um, and he left. So he left his great man who was going to the games and now he was out and, and the alternate. Uh, and so we called up George Fitch, who would organize the whole thing. I said, well, you know, we don't have drivers, just one team now. And Talking to the guys, so the guys who now had no chance of being in the Olympics, they came to me and they said, listen, you know, if, if we do the four-man in the Olympics, right. we can all get to compete. So I said, yeah, that's that's a thought. And so we called up George and said, George, we, you know, if we do the four-man, everybody will get to go and so on. And it's a story. It's a little bit of a selling job on him. And he said, fine, if you guys can... Um, figure out the foreman. I'll organize one up in Lake Placid from wherever. And if you can figure it out, then we'll talk about it and see if we can get this by the international body. So I said, fine. So he found an old bucket of a foreman, really in bad shape, but nevertheless. And then I remember learning to drive it. The first day I got in that set, with all, all the four guys you know, who want to, to they, they are the ones who want to compete in the Olympic Games and so yeah. on. And so they, <laughs> we, yeah, we, it always happens. So we, 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 we got into what they call a, a tourist bob session, which is where the track opens up from the halfway mark for tourism people to come and take tours and so on. So they, okay. they had this session, we went out there. And then the, the temperature dropped to negative 20, 21. And wow. we, we slipped from the half that afternoon. We, we went about, about, about 24, 24, 25 trips from the half while I got used to the, the thing. Of course, at the end of it, the, the, the guys were frozen as, as well as myself. I mean, I was, but I kept telling them that, yeah, I mean, you guys want to go there and this is the window we have. And so we went on and I went to the top the next day and we came down and I'd crashed in the two man at Lake Placid two or three times. And I never had a crash in the four man, never had a problem in it on that whole track, except for the last run on the last day in the last curve where I exiting the curve. I'm going the fastest we had ever gone. Exiting the curve, we hit the wall 
and destroyed the sled. I mean, it just disintegrated. It hit the wall so hard. Wow. The frame broke and all the fiberglass went flying and so on. And that created another problem because now we didn't have a sled, even though, you know, we 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 proven that we could handle the format. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we, we went on into, into the Olympics. And it was by no means certain that we'd be in the foreman. And then George Pitch worked his magic. And um and we got into the four-man competition. We had the small matter of a sled. Yeah. And another part that the movie was inspired by, we, we the Canadians lent us a sled. They forgot they had, which was <laughs> in the basement of, of the big refrigeration unit that, that, that refrigerates the whole track. And I right. remember going down there, and there was, like, I mean, this real rust bucket and faded paint and all sorts of things. And we had, took it out and we had to clean it up. And paint job and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah. That's how. That's how we we we. So now we're in foreman. So now we have to learn to push the foreman, which is a totally different thing from the two man because the four guys and one on either side and they have to get in and coordinate it. Very complicated. I mean, if you see a Bob series and the start, the best teams it looks like beautiful, but it is not easy. And yeah, we can imagine hours and hours of practice to get that together so we're practicing and um and they this is after the first day of training so we went after we slid and everybody sat in i went to the bottom now we went to the push track and they the alternate who had never been on ice before right somehow fell off the push sled and hurt himself very badly and to this day i think that 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 was a planned maneuver but anyway <laughs> sabotage <laughs> yeah so now we're done so now we're in the foreman but we only have three athletes my nice. brother was at school in in idaho on a track scholarship right at the time he had he drove up eight miles to Cal eight hours to calgary and was a guest you know watching the game and he happened to be standing at the push track at the time and I'd introduced him to the coach and when I introduced him to the coach you know I'd introduced him as and his 100 meter time and his ranking in the world and so on and the coach said to me my only question is why isn't he on this list I said we'll get to that next year yeah, yeah. but so then this guy gets injured and he gets carried off so they they were standing there literally with three athletes <laughs> and a four-man competition so the, the coach said again that we need to get this guy, so my brother signed it, we need to get this guy into the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. So George Fitch said, you know, you know, well, the registration closed on December 31st. And you know, how we can't get him accredited and, and into this, and he's never been on a bobsleigh. So the coach organized for him to get some track spikes right there and then that would fit him and then shot and put him on the side of the sled and said, run until you can't run anymore and then jump in. And so he headed off down the hill and he was running and running and running and the switch track goes down the hill and then it goes up and it uses gravity to store the sled. And then a slingshot system slings the sled right back to the start. Um, but only the part going down, it has tartan on it. And it's just all concrete on the outside because of course, by then all sensitive people have gotten into the sled yeah, yeah, and I remember Chris, my brother, running down the hill, running down the hill. Then we started to see gashes of fire, 
And then we started to hear the sound as he ran onto the concrete and ran up the other side and then sat on the sled and came back up. So the coach said to him, why didn't you jump in the sled? He said, well, I was trying, but I just, I just couldn't do it. So, so he went on the back of the sled, which is much easier to get into. Right. And, then, um, and then George Fitch, a combination of, of Appleton rum and vacations at super clubs and various places. And by six o'clock that evening, so this is all happening like at 3 p.m. By six, my brother Chris had accreditation, was in the Olympic village, scrounging <laughs> around to get him out Jamaica jacket and all of that stuff. And again, that's something that couldn't, couldn't happen again. And uh, <laughs> you couldn't write, you couldn't write that. No. So Tuesday morning that's was amazing. his very first time on, on ice that Tuesday. Right. The training is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They are Friday, race Saturday, Sunday. So Monday, Kazala had the other, had his first descent. He then he had his accident. Then Chris was on the sled Tuesday, all sitting in. Wednesday, two training runs. So we all sat in the sled for the first run. So the first time we pushed the sled was the second run on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, we pushed right. the sled twice that day and tried to get the loading and so on. And then we raced on Saturday, which was a, a real circus getting into the sled for different reasons. My push bar collapsed as I was about to go in and out. I pulled myself on my ass and I had to go after a seat in the ear and then turn around and get trapped. But anyway, so Saturday was, was, was a real circus in front of all the cameras. On the Sunday, we had the seventh fastest start of that that event, um, wow. which ended in 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 a crash. It didn't end well on that occasion, but you know that 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 was the progression. But already in 1988, we, we, we were starting up there with the with the best teams, with what yeah, was yeah, really, really just raw athletic talent. There was nothing there. No. So, and well, firstly, what did it feel like to compete at an Olympic Games with your brother? Um, on uh, well, exceptional. I don't think many people have had a chance to do. It. Um, and no. we went to four games. So, wow. uh, you know, we're in, in Calgary, in in Abbeville, in, in Lillehammer, and in Nagano. So that's that's some historian told me that that's that's never been done or brothers wow. in four games. So that's something that's something that's special. Yeah. Uh, very, very special. Yeah. What what did your parents, what did your family think back home when all of a sudden now our our you know these brothers, our boys have, have represented their country at the Olympics? Um I, I, there's a great deal of pride. In, in, in the family. And you, you have to remember that this was kind of sudden as well because yeah, yeah. In, in September there was nothing going on and then by Christmas I was going to the Olympics and then by February 27th uh, both of us are on the same sled in a race. Yeah, so yeah. that was just astonishing and people couldn't understand what was happening because all these stories that I'm sharing already of course nobody knew I just people yeah, yeah. up it up. <laughs> so it was weird. And then, you know, we had um 
uh, that morning, that morning of of the infamous crash, the strongest neck in Calgary, I I woke up and I had the bug. Now every Olympic Games has an epidemic in it, some bug that goes yeah. around. And and um, so I had I had the flu, very high temperature, headache, whole all the whole all the all of the symptoms. Um, went out to the track, started walking up the track. Used to walk in the track to really as part of a routine ritual to to just build up to the race. And all yeah. bobstay drivers do this. So walking up, and I got near the top to curve four, and I slipped and fell on my shoulder, which was hurting really badly. Got to the top, and the 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 physio for the British team, which had the British bobsteads, three bobsteads. They had four Jamaicans on the team. Right. Um, pushing and, and like two Guyanese. The physio was Guyanese. Um, and so he looked at that natural and he said, you know, this looks broken. There's a green stick fracture here. And what do you want to do? And I said, well, I need to go because we were the, the, the third sled. Third sled at the start. Right. And so he said, all right. And he, he sprayed on the numbing spray. You know, in the old days in football, every time the trainer runs onto the pitch, he had the spray can. And they just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get going, yeah. No, no. Magic, magic sponge. Yeah, magic yeah, sponge. No. <laughs> just in these long conversations and so on, I'm talking to people. And I find that very funny because back in the day, oh, yeah, yeah. How do you feel now? Okay. So anyway, I got sprayed up, and so I went on, and then I got out to the start, and we were lining up. First set was off. We were what they, they call, you know, we were in the staging area, and George Fitch came up to me and said, our oh, coach had just left. He called him from the airport and said he, he has to go back. And I said, what? He said, yeah, coach is gone. And so George was shaking his head, and he felt hard done by it. He had no idea how I felt. Anyway. And then we were up, the sled was on the line, and, and I just said, all right, pull it together, get to the start, and boom, we went off, as I said, very fast. And, um, and we loaded, we had discussed some things. It's critical. In, in, in the box, the driver has to be comfortable. So any, any discomfort or mistakes has to be taken with the crew, which was not clearly understood when we started out, but I thought we had that sorted out. Yeah, yeah. But on the load, I I was pinned by the the guy riding number two, which meant I, I couldn't really maneuver, I couldn't see as freely as I'd like. And as we went faster and faster, I got more and more behind. Now, believe you me, now we're going fast. I mean, at, yeah, at, yeah. That, at that kind of level, a, a few miles an hour is... is something else so yeah the whole the track changed i was behind and and we ended up crashing wow that is and what was going through your head as as you felt the the bobs they starting to go over first thing was not in the olympic games in front of a billion people was my first thought then yeah. Then my head hit the ice really hard. And um, right. because once we crashed, 
the, the, the crew got it got in so tight that I wasn't able to get my head under the cold, which is the drill, being a crash. So my head was hanging out. And um and I, I hit my head about seven times over the course of that crash. Wow. And you know, after wow. when I realized I wasn't going anywhere, I, I just relaxed. And then yeah. in in it was about about 28 seconds. Uh, anyway, in that whole time, I planned out in, in that time, in between my life flashing before my eyes and so on. I planned out how yeah, we yeah, actually were going to do this thing right. Work out everything, sponsorship, equipment, coaching, training. Wow. Work through everything. So by the time the bobsleigh came to a stop, I, I knew what I had to do. And while wow. we were walking from the, the finish curve where we stopped, we were walking up to go to the ambulance. Um, and I explained to my brother on the walk and in the ambulance exactly what we had to do and what uh, I wow. needed from him. Um, and that, is, so that 28 seconds was almost a, a, a moment of an... And a, and a, yeah, like an epiphany where it just everything came to you and you knew exactly what you had to do. Because they actually used the real footage as well, didn't they, in the yeah, film of the crash? Get, um, they tried to get some of the stunt drivers to recreate the crash and the guys that, that did not even try. They just no. said that that's a once in a lifetime thing that everybody walked out of that is a miracle of the century. Yeah. <laughs> you better find a way. Yeah. But, uh, so it's a real thing. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you're seeing in those 28 seconds, you kind of seen a whole plan, a whole vision flash before you. Do you, do you think that now looking back and reflecting that that crash was almost a good thing that happened obviously i know at the time during the olympics it's not what anybody wants and the, the fact that you survived is, is amazing you all survived but the fact that you then had this vision and knew what you had to do wasn't and the fact that it kind of it, there was a film made because of the because of the whole experience but do you feel that was a, a turning point a pivotal moment that you wouldn't change so here is our thing for you now and so you, you you know, ignorance and confidence. Um, yeah. So what I have learned from that crash is, is, is I mean, I'm, I'm by no means the first to discover this, but I mean, I learned it firsthand, is that the, the real meaning of events in your life are to a large extent dependent on your reaction to them. So events almost present themselves as neutral. Things happen to you. Some people yeah. say, oh, it's a good thing. Or won the lottery. It has a million pounds. Oh, that's a good thing. Or so on. Or like, you know, you crash in front of these people. It must be horrible. And then a guy wins a lot, wins the lottery. Didn't have any debt wasn't particularly well off, had conservative habits. And within five years, the, the million pounds is gone, owes two million, and his life and relationships are a disaster. So what was, how lucky was winning that million pounds? You have other people yeah. who win a million pounds and, and so they go out and they get a professional advisor and they, they, they tighten up the family and they invest their money and so on, different reactions. The, the, 
in that crowd anyways. I think those first 28 seconds and that planning. Um, the, the fact of it is what sealed the movie. Because yeah, if yeah. it hadn't ended like that, there wouldn't have been a movie. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of those things that you couldn't make that up. Uh, yeah, definitely. Do you think there would have been another Olympics if that hadn't no, happened? No, that would have been, if we had finished that race on all four runners, it would have been the end of Jamaica Bobs. Everybody would have walked away. As it was, you know, yeah. George Fitcher, William Maloney never intended to go on. I, I had to pretty much blackmail them after that and say, all right. So I actually became pretty good friends with those guys. And, uh, and they're, yeah. they're, they're great individuals and human beings. But I, I told them that, you know, here they, they took, took us out of, of our country, put us on the ice, made us laugh and suck for the words. They have to hang around and help us to get better. And, um, yeah. and they did it for a while. So that was, that was, that was good. Um, but th- that was never their intent or the intent of and This was really a one-off thing. And that right, crash okay. is, is what created the, the legacy and it is now a cult movie. Yeah, you know, yeah, it is, is, is an incredible sort of thing. It, yeah, it is. And when you came back from that first Olympics, you've come back to Jamaica, what was the reaction like? I was petrified um, flying back to Jamaica because I knew what things were like when we left. And so now that we had wrecked on the in front of everybody in the world um i was not looking forward to getting back and um and we came back to our heroes welcome there wow. were people were 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 ecstatic you know overjoyed so i i really didn't didn't understand that and I, I don't actually have an explanation no as to how that happened but, um, it was a I think it's probably the fact that Jamaicans probably aren't aren't known for Bob saying aren't known for rights, and the fact that you've went out there, you've been courageous enough to actually put yourself in front of the world and do something that's never been done before. Yeah. Uh, you're a pioneer for winter bobs for winter Olympics in Jamaica, and I, from my just thinking out loud now, that would certainly be the reason that I would want to give someone that that praise, that affection to say, well done, because you've kind of put the country on a map and you've, you've had the courage to try something totally new. Yeah. And you haven't been bothered what people think. Yes. And all of those things resonate with me. I, I think those things, but you know, Jamaica actually didn't need putting on the map. So that I was surprised that people saw it like, like that, but you know, they, they, yeah. A friend of mine, several years later, told me um, we had served in the military together. He had left. He was a civilian helicopter pilot. He was working in the Gulf of Mexico. And he was actually on an oil rig um, that race day. And so all, all you know, the people on the oil rig, the workers, had gathered together to watch this event on TV. Wow. And he said to them that, you know, I, I know these guys. And believe you me, what we're going to see here today is glory or death. So, <laughs> did he know how, how close he would be? But that, that you know, kind of sums up the, the approach that we had. Hey. We're going to make something of this. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. And consequences be done. And how how did your not your life change because we can talk about the film and how that came about later on, but once you came back and you'd had this 28 second epiphany and you knew how things were going to change, how did training and attitude towards the Winter Olympics then change? Well, one of the things that happened is that I personally left the army. So within a, a year, my my service was up. The initial service I signed up for, I didn't extend. And I, and I left and um, and started and spent my time between between bobsleigh and and business. So I okay. became, I saw, and, and I, I, I used, of course, I leveraged the, the bobsleigh experience to put together some investors, started a helicopter company working in the, the tourism business, doing helicopter tours, which was not the, the best move you're in to be a serious athlete. And then started training as well on the, on the side and, you know, working with coaches, speed coaches, strength coaches, bringing things together looking for some quality athletes who could could also operate on the in the in the sport because the sport is hard work you know yeah. you're running track you turn up to the track you spikes you run and you go home i mean obviously yeah. the, the work starts at sunrise and it finishes after midnight and that's every day yeah, yeah. Uh, it's brutal and um so it was just Doing that, pulling pulling people together and raising money, raising money, raising money. Uh, was it a lot? Was it easier to find that money on the back of their endeavors at the 1988 Olympics? Was there now almost an influx of people saying, "Okay, we're willing now to invest in Jamaican bobsleigh." Yeah. So that, that four years between '88 and '92, which was Abbeville, were probably the best years for raising money. And we got to Abbeville yeah. and we, we 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 did decent, which is what I expected. We had decent performances and we're in the middle of the pack and so on. And coming yeah. out of that, the, the sponsorship dried up, interest dried up, nobody was writing about us, we were crashing and so on. So we were no longer a story. And yeah. the this was the year when the, the Winter Olympics and Summer Olympics were moved out of the same year. It used to be that they had winter yeah. and summer in the same year. And then, but it was a, a strain for sponsors and for the yeah, everybody. So they, they moved by having two Winter Olympics in two years, so 92 and 94. And then from yeah. 94, switching to what's basically a workup schedule, which, which parallels the, the, the yeah. FIFA workup. Uh, so that again was 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 a blessing. So the sponsorship died, and that that year, the, the year after Abbeville was the worst year. But then the following season was a season going into Lillehammer, and in that season, we we, we were highly organized. We, we knew what we were doing. Had some management in place and so on. We picked up some really world class athletes. And, 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 but we didn't have any money. Then that October, Cool Runnings was released. And then all hell broke loose. I bet your life just totally changed. I mean, let's, if we're talking about that then, 
how did that movie come about and how how much involvement did you have with it? Well, George Fitch that, that always wanted to do a movie. That's what he wanted. And he was yeah, shopping yeah. a movie even before he had a team. And so <laughs> um and so we went and then we had that crash and then there was some interest. So the, the guy yeah. the, the, there's a movie called Downhill Skill with Robert Redford, which was George Fitch's um inspiration for wanting to do Right. And it was done by okay. a guy named Guy Ritchie. And George Fitch actually approached Guy Ritchie after, after the Olympics with the idea. And Guy Ritchie put down $25,000 US for the option on the movie. And he had the script and he had it for about two years. And, um, and he, he, he never, well, we didn't know what he was doing with it and so on. But then one day he called us up and said he sold it to Disney for $250,000, which was a wow. neat piece of business without much risk. So Disney bought it and then um, and they got serious. So it was when, you know, there's this, this producer, Katzenberg, who um, is, he's done many, many things. And, and he has the... the he he had a brief spell at Disney as their sort of creative director on the movie that was in the spell that that Cool Runnings was done. A girl right. called Dawn Steele directed, um, or, or sorry, she produced executive producer, Turtle Bob. A nice team, I we, we met them all, spoke to them, and then we spent several hours on conference calls with the writers. And uh, and we did have sign off as Jamaica Bobsey Federation on the on the content. Wow. So it took a while to pull together a story that didn't really piss off yeah, anybody. Of and then you know the, the the Berlin Wall was just falling and uh, was was the writing was on the wall and so on. So they decided to let's take a chance and make the East Germans a bad guy. Um, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> they, they're gone. So that's how it that it ended up like that. So everybody was was placated, and um, and they, they, they made the movie, which you know once you get your head around, it's not a, not a documentary about you. Then you can begin to appreciate some of the points of the movie. But what it yeah, did, yeah. it really gave us a second win. Um, yeah, I, all of a sudden, investment opportunities were back on the table, and you were able to sustain the program. Yeah, so we, we got sixty thousand dollars from from Red Stripe. I remember, and wow. you know, we, we took that and we went to the Olympic Games. We got two bobsleds from the Dresden Bobsleigh Company, which was a company that built bobsleds for for um, for the, the East German national team and some for the Russian national team. And I remember going to pick up the bobsleds uh, at the Dresden factory and realizing that it was in the MiG-29 factory in Germany, where they, they built the MiG-29 fighter bomber under license. And in that same factory, right. they were building the bobsleys, which are the bobsley chases I've been accustomed to where people's garages and guys walking around, you know, like with their thumb like a painter. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these guys had a micrometer screw gauge and everything was perfect. So they, they basically gave us sleds because this was the best. Now no, there had to be a commercial entity and this was a great marketing yeah. move. And they said, if Jamaica yeah, could course. do well with these sets, then we'll sell them everywhere. And, you know, we, yeah. um, 
So we, we went into, into those games. Everything came together. We had only one set of runners. Most teams have a dozen, lots and lots. We had one set that came with a sled. And it turned out it was a set that worked well once you got below negative 17. So you had four Jamaicans right. praying for coal, which I don't know if that ever happened. <laughs> yeah, first time ever. <laughs> yeah. So the first day of the race, you know, two days, four runs. The first day, it was minus 12, minus 13. And we did right. okay. We, we defended our start position, which meant that nobody who started after us passed us. But we didn't really advance. Okay. And at the end of that day, we were 18 to all. Um, but the weather report was coming in. And so temperature dropped that night. We woke up, negative 20. So we went out and away we went. Two runs, we were 10th on each run. We ended up 14th overall. We beat all American wow. sleds. And the American sleds were built by a race car driver called Jeff Bodine. They, they still have the right. same designs to this day. And they spent 6 million US on the sleds. Never wow. mind the program and the athletes and travel and so on. Six million dollars yeah, on the yeah. sled. We had sixty thousand dollars total wow. went over change. So another thing to, to learn is that resources are not always a blessing. Yeah. When yeah, yeah. when you, well, let's say the man with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. When you have that, <laughs> every solution looks like let's let's throw some money at this and see yeah, what yeah. happens. And, and did the company then go on to sell a lot of bobsleds because of the performance of the Jamaican bobsled well team? for a while, but then, then other companies rose up working to that same standard. But they, they did really yeah. well afterwards and for, for a few years. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. My friend has texted me today, knowing that I was going to be talking to you, Dudley, and he asked me, did you actually call the bobsleigh Tallulah? <laughs> no. That's all about the creative license. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend anyway and just tell him that it was called Tallulah. Yeah. I also want to know if you really did sing Feel the Rhythm, Feel the Rain, Get On Up With Bob uh, All of those things are creative, um, creative license. But it, it, it did so you, But you're saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> it really did happen like no, that. No, unfortunately. <laughs> but you know, one of the things, I mean, what we, we had to do was to, to figure out what the guys who were really good at this were doing and, and then find a way to intimate to imitate it within the, the the context of what we were good at and what we did yeah. and so on and, and that's another thing I think if if more people would would look at life in in that way you know there's a tendency to say that oh this is all bad I we need to change all these things yeah. and from, from a practical perspective, that's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen quickly. And you need to try and yeah. figure out how, how is this happening? Why do these people have success? What are they doing? What am I doing? Okay. What can I take from what they are doing to try and make my position or myself better? And then yeah. what are my special qualities and how we might apply it to this to make it different. So like even in pushing a bobsleigh, I mean, we brought a lot of speed and not as much power to, to the bobsleigh push. And, um, and so we had to, to push in a, in a different way. 
which you know we, we eventually found out, and then we had a coach who was very attuned to that stuff. And once once we got that done, which was again going into Lillehammer, we were right there in 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 the push as one of the best. Teams. So they they done that for life as well, and I've done that time and time again. Whenever I've gone into a situation, you look at who excel, look at who does it right, look at what they're doing, um, try and figure out what are the, the, the elements in what they're doing because not everything that yeah. people do actually is contributing to the end result but if yeah, you yeah. can figure that stuff out then you figure out how you imitate that That's... yeah yeah definitely no it's good once you decided you know you've done four olympics that journey is is come to an end what was the next progression then after that did you because i know you're still involved with bob state but were you always involved with bob state after you finished competing not always. So I finished my last Olympics as an athlete was 1998. Um, and then I had a sort of transition period where I was training up drivers and and other athletes for going into Salt Lake City, which was 2002. And then I, I went to Salt Lake City as a coach. And, um, and, and then I... I think I served on the executive of the federation for the, the next cycle. But I, I sort of dropped out and I was very involved in, in business and, and yeah. doing things. And then I returned in, in 2017 to the team. Okay. When, when the first female team qualified. And so I was with them in the Olympic Games in Pyeongchang. And what was the... What was the decision? What was the motivating factor for you to return to Bobsley? Um, actually, one it was it was the, the 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 women's team, which which was high quality team, high quality athletes. Um, I thought with a with a, a good chance of a good performance, and um, and the, the novelty of the idea that you know this is like we were the first. And, and no, it's not the first time we tried to qualify women, but it's the first time it actually happened. Uh, yeah. And then, and they had a, a gap. So I, I thought that my experience would be helpful. And that this was something that was worth being involved with. And is it something that you're, you're pleased you've come back to you enjoying the sport again and, and loving it for what it is now yeah. and, and from the other side of it? I would say so. I mean, there there are mixed things happening, but on on the whole, um, you know, I I got a chance to meet Chan Wayne Stevens and become involved with him uh, to work with the with the RAF to really build a collaboration here, um, almost pioneering a number of things, putting that in place, and 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 getting to watch really a, a high quality effort being put together again and to help wherever yeah. I can. That, that's been very satisfying at this stage of my life, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've spoke to Shan Wayne and he spoke so highly of you and said you've been kind of just a great help and a great support for his journey within Bobsley. Yeah, he, he he inspires that. You know, in the army, they have a term where you say you have a lot of time for that person. 
which of course implies yeah. that there are people that you don't have that much time for. But um, Chan Wayne, you know, his earnestness, his humility, um, the, the, he wants to succeed and he wants to learn and so on. He really, he really demands of you some support. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. So. Ah, good. No, he is. He seems seems like a fantastic person when I spoke to him. And fingers crossed. Yeah. The the Olympics, the Olympic year goes well. This the Olympic qualifying goes well for him. Yeah. And the rest of the Jamaican squad. Yeah. Yep. It reminds me. I've been there so often <laughs> in these positions. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure they can draw on your experience and you can utilize it. What are your aspirations moving forward? And obviously, you're with the ladies' team at the moment, and you you got Pyeongchang in 2022. Is there aspirations after that to stay in Bobsey or is it are you looking to do something different, uh, branching out? Yeah, no, I don't I don't um I don't have any concrete plans insofar as Bobsey yeah. is concerned. I I do I do want to pursue the opportunity in, in Middlesbrough to to use in the facilities in the area and drawing from the people there look at a high performance center where yeah. we can give create an environment where we can pull talent from out of the out of the region because I, I think as as we have discussed earlier on that there's a, a lot uh lying dormant for yeah, for more of of, of of opportunity, institution, structure. Yeah. You know, the, the, if, you, if we take running our, our sprint, now you look at, at the ways ingrained in Jamaican society from yeah, primary school, um, organized competitions from your class to your year, to your school, to groups of schools regionally, to nationally. Um, that that's how athletic performance gets built. It's yeah. not the food, not the genes, and so on. It's, it's the structures around it, and then the, the the motivations that come from the memory of what people say when they look back in the past and when they look at the the people who are excelling now. And so it's, it's a tremendous force for pulling people But I I I found that in, in as, as I said, I was up in the Northeast and I don't know, I did not get a feel for that, certainly not in athletics. And, you know, I mean, the football is, is the huge thing there. And everybody wants yeah, to it is, it's yeah, but but that's that's a small number of people. So I think that there is, there is an opportunity that way. And the, the other thing that that motivates me going forward is is just general health um yeah so the the you, you know your, your your physical health is is key to everything else and that includes your mental health it is not possible yeah. to be mentally healthy without being physically so i don't mean that you are a top-rated athlete. I mean, your body has to be working. Oh, it, it is mental. It can't be under assault from from sugar, primarily 
or excess calories, uh, you can't, you, 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 your brain has to be physically stoned in order for you to be mentally stoned. So yeah. you, you may have a physically sound brain and still have mental issues. And, and then those may have to be dealt with on a different level. But if you start with your brain, it's basically underfed, undernourished, and, and not functioning properly. There is no way to be mentally healthy. And those yeah. are messages that I would like to, 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 to to pass on and to try and, and get institutionalized. And here's here's the, here is a fact now. They, they you know we're all struggling with this COVID issues. Um now we're coming out of this pandemic. But when you when you look around at the the sort of how the pandemic has hit populations. The populations in, in the USA and the UK, which happen to be two of the most obese nations on earth, particularly in well-off, in, in, in terms of well-off, um, well-to-do countries, um, have some of the highest rates of mortality. That's not accidental. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now there are other factors going on in, in, in those two societies as, as well. But a basic thing is just a basic fundamental unhealthiness, which is from a bad habit. We can get the habit of people moving, moving as a habit, and then eating yeah. consciously as a habit. And Yeah, it is an education thing, yeah. isn't it, massively? Yeah, yeah. So... It, and it's about spreading it as a simple message rather than trying to dilute things or make them look too complicated so people then don't really know what they're, they're understanding. And, and I think that's why you see all these, I don't know, all these people trying to sell you the, the next fad and lose lose a stone right, in three days right, and all that jazz. And- right. So, I mean, I have, I have sort of a mantra, which is simple, inexpensive, effective, and sustainable. That's what you if if what you have don't add up to those four things, then it's not a solution. And but yeah, to get people right. to to under to understand that because this thing is not simple. They, they simply having an eating window and a window when you don't eat, just divide the day into twelve hours. You're going to eat, no matter what you eat. Twelve hours you're not going to eat. Simply doing that, yeah. you would have. A substantial impact on most people, even where they the, the not yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a good message. It's a good message, and certainly one I, I I agree with. I think that education is massive on this sort of thing, and yeah, yeah. But well, well, yeah, we could yeah. talk about the whole day, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Well, no, so those are the things that interest me. That's what I'd, I'd like to do, and I see myself going forward. Let's see how, how the Olympics go, um, see where Sean Wayne is. Um, I, I would hope he continues for another cycle. But, you know. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. There's another young man Fingers named crossed. Benjamin Alexander, who is another Jamaican Brit. Um, uh, from the skier, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I actually... Yeah, I'd seen the, seen the post about that. That was really good, the, the article that was done on him. Yeah, the NBC... Yeah, I'd yeah. seen that on your post. It looked really good. Yeah, yeah. No, it was good. 
So I'm, I'm working with him as well. Um, I suppose the nice thing about today's era is it doesn't really matter where you come from originally. They could travel so accessible. You can literally go and live somewhere and put yourself, immerse yourself in that surrounding and train to do something that you want to, you know, that you're passionate about. Yeah, no, all of those opportunities are out there if you if you focus on them. Yeah, um, definitely. Which is, is what Benjamin has done. He's, he's, and he's done it several times in his life. And, um, and yeah. he's, he's, you know, he, he's, he's from very humble, very humble beginnings. Parents are, are drivers and, um, and he's just, he's, he's attacked his life. I like to say it. he's been just on the front foot in looking for opportunities, creating opportunities, doing things. And it's become almost like a habit yeah. with him, but, but. Uh, yeah I think what you're saying there is right as well create opportunities it's not about waiting for them to come to you is it and I think the the successful people do go out there and create opportunities for themselves I mean you try and you keep trying and very often the opportunities come it's like you and I speaking here is that an example of that you you don't actually know definitively that I'm going to do this and that is going to happen but you know that if you're doing this and if you're doing that if you're doing this then something is going to happen that you can make good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's 100%. Yeah. I totally agree. Dudley, I'm conscious. Obviously I'm, I'm taking up your afternoon, but thank you so much for your time today and for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle. I've, I could sit and talk to you for the rest of the evening here in the UK, um, but I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Thank you so much for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle. Hey, not at all. Not at all. And it's really good to talk to you. Look forward to meeting you at some point. And- oh, fingers crossed. Yes. Can't wait. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.